God's Word today. So, uh, Jesus, we've already said, we've sung, uh, but sometimes we can sing things and not always think about it, at least I can, but we've said that we need you. So even when we look into your Word, we don't just need our eyes and our brains, uh, we need your Holy Spirit to be a part of uh, us understanding what your Word says to us. So, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to illuminate our eyes, illuminate our ears. We want to hear and see what you're telling us. And then we want to respond to you so we can become the kind of people you want us to be full of the life and power that comes from God. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> what year did Wizard of Oz come out? Anybody know? Do you know? 1939. Wow. This is 1939, all right. 1939, it was the most, it's the most watched movie worldwide. Um, I remember uh, when I was a kid, uh, and those of you who are my age or older remember this, there were no VCRs. So it was, it was, always, it was always on Sunday nights, and we had church on Sunday night. We could never watch it because it started like right when we were going to church. And so anyway, but I remember watching the movie. We've watched it, I've watched it many times. But one of the things... I was watching a clip this week from Wizard of Oz. Is when they go into the, uh, I don't know if you call it the throne room. It was the Oz room. When they finally get to Oz because they have things they want. All right, They want things, and they've been told that the great Oz can give them the things they want. The, the tin man wants heart. Scared crow wants. Lion wants. And Dorothy wants. She just won't go home. I don't think Toto had any wants, but I, and we don't know that. But so they have the, they're on this whole journey down the Yellow Brick Road because they have these wants, these desires, and these needs that they've been told Oz can do for them. And if you remember how the story turns out, they the throne room scene, they're all kind of bumbling and afraid because Oz is ruling over them out of fear. And then he doesn't give them what they want because he wants an exchange. Well, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. If you go get the wicked witch of East or West, wherever it was, if you get her broom and bring it to me, then I'll give you what you want. So it's kind of a, you can ask me for what you want, but there's a deal I'll make with you. And it's, then the story goes and they get it, and et cetera, et cetera. But here's the question I want to ask you, because when I think about this, I thought the Wizard of Oz is a great picture for the journey. What is it that you want? What, what do you want if you could walk into the throne room of God today and could say, this is what I want. This is what I need. We're just saying, I need you. I need. What is it you want? And, and how do we tell God what we want? Maybe, it's, maybe you want more joy in your life, more peace in your life. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's things or health or whatever, but we all have things we want, or there's things we desire, but we just won't say, because we almost feel like, maybe I shouldn't want that. But then how do, we, how do we bring that to God? How do we pray about it? How do we ask for those things? And that, that's, so how do we do that? And then how do we do that with kind of freedom and clarity when we ask him? Because if you're like me, I've, my whole journey of what it means to pray has been all over the place. So I'm trying to figure out what does God want to hear from me. So I've been doing a series 
called being bold about Jesus. We've talked about boldness that Paul and Peter and others had in talking about Jesus. Kind of the boldness being fear and fear, uh, free and fearless, courageous, confident. Um, just as we came upon a new definition of bold, biblically speaking, the person that boldness is, re- is really an absolute freedom of speech. You, you say exactly what you want to say, and you're not afraid of the, of the repercussions. So it's a freedom of speech. But th- th- I'm switching it this week, so we're still being bold, but now we're being bold because of Jesus. Because there's times where, you know, Peter, Paul, John, they were bold about Jesus. But now there's a couple passages where the idea of boldness shows up. It's really about us being bold with God because of Jesus. And bold in asking God for what we want. So uh, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. This is, I'm just gonna, when the writer of Hebrews talks about praying with boldness. Now, let me give you the context of Hebrews. We don't know who write, wrote the book of Hebrews. There's debate, nobody, and in the end, it really doesn't matter that much. But we do know it was written to cr- Jewish Christians who were struggling. They were struggling with, is this worth it to follow Jesus? Because there was opposition, there was, there was uh, persecution. Is it worth it? Because their temptation was, ah, let's just go back to the religious way of life we lived as Jews. All right? Now, none of us, as far as I know, grew up Jewish, but we all can relate to following Jesus is challenging. It's much easier just to be religious. I can do the religious thing. I can look good. I can say the right things. So I'm, I'm, I'm separating the idea of following Jesus and the challenges and what, what that involves in that relationship, there's a whole set of challenges and joys with that. But being religious is much, much, much easier. I can go to church. I can do the right things. I can say the right things. But I don't have to deal with some of the dynamics of following Jesus because religion's way easier. I'm saying the religious life in obviously a negative way, but it's much easier to be religious. So that's, that's who this letter was written to, is people who are almost on the verge of giving up, giving up at least in following Jesus, not giving up on life, giving up on following Jesus. Let's just go back to the easy religion, and I could even say it this way. There's an easy Christianity that's easy to fall into, even as American Christians in 2022. So that's who he's writing to. He's writing to people who are not quite sure of following Jesus, specifically Jesus, and the way of Jesus, including not only servanthood, but also a, a, a openness to suffering because of Jesus. People who are not sure if they want that. They'd rather just be religious. It's safer, right? So in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer talks about this. Like, how do, you, how do we come to God with our wants and our needs? And so he talks about how do we, we have desires and we don't know if we're supposed to tell God these things because it's kind of like Oz, is God, does God expect something of us in return? And, and we have these perceptions of, well, I'm, I've, I've, I've made too many mistakes and I, God maybe doesn't want to hear from me right now. So I'm gonna, we're going to look at just, we're going to look at five verses in Hebrews chapter four. And I'm just going to look at one at a time because I'm going to look at this as almost, if you can, the same analogy. It's like the, it's the yellow brick road to God. 
in terms of how do we, how do we say things to God, express our needs, and we're just saying, I need you, oh, I need you. I'm guessing if we were really honest and all of us could be totally bold and free saying, this is what I need from God right now, I think we'd have some pretty deep things we'd say. I really, I really want more of this in my life. I want more of that in my life. I, I wish this wasn't there in my life. But being bold with God in prayer, it's almost like we're not sure if we should do that. Because he's God, right? Um, so Hebrews chapter 4, we'll just jump into one of the verses. So again, the, 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 the boldness term comes at the very end. So I'm just, that's still the umbrella term here. So, but he's, he's talking to them about, you know, he's, again, he's talking to people who are vacillating, is it worth following Jesus all the way, all right? And he starts off, and this is verse 12 of chapter 4, for the word of God is alive and powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Read this last sentence with me, starting with it, out loud, here we go. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Typically, when we read that sentence, at least when I grew up in church, when you read that last sentence, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Typically, the emphasis is on your bad thoughts and your desires. I'm not saying that's what the writer is saying here, but we tend to think, well, it exposes all the things I've done wrong, and that's going to be kind of really hard when people feel, you know, it exposes innermost thoughts and desires. But let me just shift for a second on this so you can think about it differently. There's a passage in the scripture that says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So maybe part of our engagement with the Bible, I always encourage you to read the Bible in a regular habit every day, but there's times where the Bible doesn't just expose our dark side, it exposes our thoughts and desires that God wants to hear from us. You might have thoughts or desires that are really because you want, you want to see, you have a, a large expectation of what you want to see God do in your life, in your marriage, in your job, just in your personal life, you as a parent, you as a sibling, whatever. You have thoughts and desires. And it's okay, it's okay to acknowledge that. The, the, the whole passage, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you read that, and think about it, it almost sounds dangerous. So if I delight myself in God, he's going to give me the desires of my heart, my innermost thoughts and desires. And again, it's not, God's not, it's not Santa Claus. But it's like, okay, God, God cares about, he cares about your innermost thoughts and desires. It's, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, no, that's, I mean, you know, if my, one of my children, kid, kids would ask me, hey, Dad, I really need $50 for this. I'm not going to say to them, that's, that's, a, that's a stupid desire. You don't need that. I mean, I, I need to hear. What, so innermost thoughts and desires, God wants to hear your innermost thoughts and desires. So kind of one of the first stages of learning how to pray well is just what do you want? What do you want from God? And those, that's not bad to, to say that. It's not bad to express your, your thoughts and desires to God. Now, the next verse, though, we'll go to the next verse. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he's the one to whom we are accountable. Now, on this verse, I'm going to highlight nothing in all creation is hidden from God. There's, there are times, maybe significant times, 
where you do need, I need to deal with God exposing something in me that needs to be removed. Sin, habit, a way of life, a way of thinking that you know is not what God wants you uh, to be doing or living. You, and you, in a sense, you think you might be hiding, right? I, I used to play hide and go seek with my kids when they were little. I don't do it now, they're all too old, right? So, but Mark especially was fun to play with because the game went really quick. He, he'd go upstairs and hide, and I'd, I'd go upstairs, and I, my, my typical thing was, where are you, where are you? You know, I'd just, other kids would say dead quiet. When I yelled, where are you, Mark would yell from wherever he was in whatever closet, I'm in here. I was like, he didn't get the game. He didn't get the game was, no, you're supposed to stay hidden. You're supposed to stay hidden, Mark. And, 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 it, and there's times where we think, we think, we can hide from God, and we play the game the other way. We just don't, you know, even when God was trying to find Adam and Eve, when after they sinned, God says, where are you? And Adam says, well, we, we hid because we were afraid. And what this passage tells us, nothing's hidden from God. There's nothing in your life that if you've separated some habit or pattern of behavior or sinful thoughts or whatever, if you've, if you've cultivated that, there's nothing that's hidden from God. You might think you've hidden it from him. You might think you've figured out a way that he doesn't know what's going on, but there's nothing hidden. And to some degree, part of your freedom before God is your willingness to deal with those kind of things so there's no there's no obstacle between you and God. I, I, I'm not going to tell any specific stories, but I know I've told in the past different stories where God used specific scripture in my life in certain situations where he exposed me. You know, there's a passage of scripture, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. There was a time where I was in a conflict with somebody, and God brought that to mind, and he was exposing me. There's a passage of scripture that says, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And I was, there was a situation where I was cherishing sin in my heart. And I couldn't figure out why my prayers seemed kind of bland. And God kept bringing that to mind. If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Show me. Show me my anxious thoughts. Show me my, my offensive thoughts to you. There are times... There have to be times, there will be times where God needs to expose to you something that needs to go. And it's not because he's an angry, you gotta do it my way. It's because he knows that what you're doing, how you're living is not gonna lead you to the kind of life that you know he wants for you, full of joy, peace, all right? So we have, we have, we have thoughts, innermost thoughts and desires that are good but we also have things that need to be exposed that God wants to expose. And this was interesting to me when I was thinking about this week and I was reading some different people who wrote about this. Sometimes our boldness in talking about Jesus, our freedom, is because we don't have freedom with Jesus because we're hiding something. So if I'm not fully open and exposed before Jesus, in my life and he can deal with stuff in my life, I'm certainly not gonna be open and exposed to other people when I talk about Jesus because I'm a little bit 
weighed down by this. So nothing is hidden and exposed. Next passage. So then, so he's basically saying you have good desires, you have good things you can say to God, but there's also stop and think if there's something God wants to expose in you. And he's talking to people who are on the verge of quitting or trying to figure out Christianity. He says, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. In other words, don't quit. Don't stop, don't stop following Jesus. Don't let yourself fall into religion. Again, they were, their temptation was, ah, this Jesus thing, sacrifice, confession of sin, suffering, all that's too hard. I'd just rather do the religious moral life. That still looks good. Maybe I'll still get a couple check marks from God. But he's saying, no, don't, don't quit. Don't quit following Jesus. Don't quit listening to what he has to say to you. Don't quit telling him your desires, but don't quit letting him expose things that you need to be exposed. Don't quit. Don't give up. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know all of you. Like, I don't know your innermost thoughts and desires. Maybe there's sometimes you thought, maybe even now, where some of you are thinking, I'm not sure if it's worth it. Not, maybe not quitting on Christianity, but quitting on some kind of a a beeline to follow Jesus. I, I'm just going to be religious right now. So let us home firmly what we believe. Don't quit. Next verse, there's two more. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. And weaknesses are anything that you know is in your life that keeps you from being fully alive and awake and free. In other words, stuff you deal with whether it's, maybe it's not a pattern of sin, but maybe it's certain things that you just can't seem to shake. Or maybe it's just a certain way of thinking that you can't seem to shake. It may not be sinful, but it seems to hold you down. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. So it's, there's a degree of, I'll use the word empathy, there's a degree of empathy that Jesus has for us that I don't, I don't know that I understand, and I'm guessing maybe some of us don't, don't understand, that he knows when you're disappointed. He knows when you feel like you've been hurt by somebody. I, there was a time, I, I, I know I've told this story before, it's worth telling again. There was a time where I was really, I was feeling misunderstood, not by my wife, but by somebody else. I felt like I was misunderstood and I was being falsely accused of something I know wasn't true of my heart. Somebody was, was, has, had told me that they were assuming this was true about me, and they totally missed me. And it was a period of time, and I remember riding my bike. I was somewhere on the west side of town. I was riding my bike, and I said out loud, God, I'm so tired of being misunderstood. And I didn't hear a verbal voice, but I heard very clearly in the ears of my heart, Jesus saying to me, I know what you mean. Oh, yeah, you, you were misunderstood. You were falsely accused. And I was like, oh, I'm not alone in this. You, you, you get me. There, there's a song we've sang before. I, I, I didn't ask Aaron to sing it this morning because I thought, but there's a song we sang before, you understand me, God, you understand me. And then there's times where I've, where I've had times where I've been maybe laying awake in bed and can't go to sleep because I'm afraid or I'm anxious about something, money, relationship stuff, whatever. And I've, 
gotten in the habit of just saying out loud, whispering in bed, said, Jesus, I'm, I'm afraid right now. And I know you understand me. I mean, he's, he's not going to say, oh, you shouldn't be afraid. Look what I've done for you. No, Jesus doesn't respond to us like we often respond to our children or whatever. I, no, don't feel that way. No, I do feel that way, Jesus. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm feeling kind of anxious about this. I'm feeling hurt by this. But there's nothing you have felt or I have felt. There's no emotion you've experienced that Jesus doesn't understand. Not cognitively understand. He understands because he felt it. He knows exactly what you're going through. And some might say, well, but he never sinned. But that just means he had to endure temptation a long time and not give in. We give in easily. You know, even like the temptation that when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus in the wilderness and, hey, why don't you jump off the temple? Why don't you, you know, turn these stones into bread? But Jesus resists a temptation. That doesn't mean he doesn't know the power of temptation. He knows the power of temptation. All right. But he also knows your emotions. He knows when you feel disappointed. He knows when you feel disappointed in your relationship with your kids, your parents, your spouse, your workers, co-workers. He knows all that. There's nothing he doesn't know. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. So it's like, okay, so we've, God wants to know our innermost desires. He can expose our innermost desires and thoughts, especially in the ways that uh, are blocking us from knowing him, whether it's patterns of sin in our life. Don't give up. Jesus knows what you're going through. And then the last passage of this section, and this is where our boldness shows up. So let us come to the throne of grace boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. Not, again, I, when I watched this Wizard of Oz thing this week, uh, I just didn't watch the whole movie. I just watched the, the, the throne room scene. They are so timid going into the, the Oz hall. With, I don't know if you remember the big green head on the wall and smoke and fire. The, the lion, the tin man, the scarecrow, and even Dorothy, they're so timid and afraid. They're not, t- t- timidity is the opposite of boldness. They're so timid and afraid, they don't know what to expect because this king has power. This king is on a throne. You think even of, uh, there's another old movie. This is maybe his old movie day. The King and I, and then the King of Siam. Yule Brenner played the king of uh, Siam. And every time somebody went into his presence, you had to make sure your head was lower than his head. He had power over you. And people would approach that situation like the same way with the Wizard of Oz with fear and timidity because I don't know what to expect of this king. Even in the Bible, there's a story about Esther, Old Testament story. The king was Xerxes. The Assyrian king had power. She was uh, part of his harem, not by her own choice. But she was encouraged to go tell the king something because she needed to say something that was going to rescue her people. And she's like, you, you can't go into the king uninvited. She actually said, you know, she knew this. It was true. If you go into the king uninvited, he has total authority as the king 
to have you killed because you came to his presence uninvited. So whether it's Dorothy and the Tin Man Lion and Scarecrow, whether it's going into the presence of the King of Siam, or whether it's Esther going into the presence of, the, of Xerxes, King of Syria, there's a lot of those kind of emotions we bring with us when we come to God. Like, I'm afraid. I, I don't know what he, he has power. Um, you don't know the mistakes I've made in my life. I still remember years ago, somebody did not want to take communion one time or didn't want to help serve communion. It was nobody here, nobody we, you would most likely know. And they said, well, I've had a bad week. I said, what do you mean? They said, I've, I've just I've made some bad choices this week. And it was kind of like, well, we've, that's why we need Jesus. We've all had bad weeks. But there's this sense of we, we don't think we're worthy of talking to God. Well, you know, I still haven't kicked this one issue in my life. I still haven't stopped doing this in my life. I don't think God says, I know he doesn't say, hey, clean up your act and then come to me boldly and tell me what you want. Because we were stuck on this idea of throne, power. He has authority, he has power. He has the power over my life. He's the king. But he doesn't sit on a throne of law. He doesn't sit on, according to this passage, a throne of justice where you made a mistake, you pay. God's just, we know that. There is law in the Bible, we know that. But what the author of the Hebrews is telling these people, it's on a throne of grace. Grace, his, this is the throne where God doesn't like, he doesn't expect things from us like, okay, like the Oz says to Dorothy and them, I'll give you what you want if you give me what I want. You get, the, you get the witch's broomstick and I'll give you what you want. The throne of grace is a place where God dispenses things freely to us. Doesn't ask for payment. We don't have to appease him. He's not a God that needs to be appeased. We don't need to make some kind of transaction. Well, I'll do this, God. If you, I, you know, I do this for you, God, but you gotta do this for me. God is like the incredibly generous parent who will give their children whatever they want, whatever's good for them that they want. So the throne of grace is a place of getting things, not a place of appeasing or trading God for things. And even the, the writer of the Hebrews says, go back to the second of that passage, they will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. We don't go to the throne of grace to receive his judgment. Actually, Romans tells us there's no condemnation anymore for in Christ Jesus. We don't, go, we don't go to God to be judged in the con condemning way. It says, no, we go to him. He's a throne of grace. He gives us what we need, especially when we need it most. He sits on a throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of condemnation. I... I'll finish with this, this uh, story. So um, I used to think, I think regularly, I used to think that whenever I sinned, and I think I've told my story before, of before I got married, just struggled with pornography and things like that. I used to think every time I sinned, um, 
God was mad at me, and he had a big stick, and he understandably and justifiably would hit me with the stick. I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel that bad. But I, that's why I thought that's what he does. And then there was a time, and I can't remember if it was somebody telling me this or me reading. I thought, okay, that's how I always come to God. I come to God in fear of the stick for whatever sin, whether it was lust or dishonesty or whatever. I, I, I deserve the stick. He sits on the throne of justice. Therefore, whatever I've done wrong, I need to pay for. And then I came to the point where I realized, you know, he sits on a throne of grace, so I come to him and I might have this sin, that sin, or this sin. And the, the stick is still there, and the stick gets swung. But then all of a sudden I'm amazed that it's not at me, it's on the cross. The stick goes to Jesus. He took our infirmities, Isaiah tells us. The whole New Testament talks about Jesus took our sins on him. And I think I, when I realized that, I was like, oh, this, this Jesus is different than what I thought he was. He does sit on a throne of grace. I, I don't get what I deserve. As a matter of fact, I get what I don't deserve. I get mercy. I get grace. I get the Holy Spirit and peace and joy poured, poured into me when I, if I look at my sheet of behaviors, I don't deserve it. So this, this passage of, so let us come boldly. Skip ahead where it's just the one, in the, same verse. I think it's got a red background. Maybe you haven't realized this, but I always put a red background right before we go to communion. So it's just, but it's when we come, when we come to, whether it's communion, which is indicative of coming to God, or whether it's praying, seems to me like boldness is kind of the rule of the day. God wants us to speak freely with him and say, I, I need this, God. I want this in my life. I want this in my marriage. I want this with my kids. I want this in my heart. I, I want to be this person. It's okay. And, and right time and right place, it's okay to, to be actually a little bit emotional about it with God. I'm not saying we should all scream or shout, but I think if, if, if we really, if the desires of our hearts were really, and if we had freedom to speak in a bold way, I think there'd be a loud desperation that would be part of who we are before God, and God would take great joy in that because he wants us to, 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 to have a desperate desire for him and his desperate desire for what he does. So... Um, Maybe there's times where we need to put away, well, there are times there. We need to put away uh, religious stuffiness, even religious politeness, and there's times where I just need to tell God, I, I need this from you right now. Not, not like I need, not like Santa Claus, give me, give me, give me, but God, I need peace. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. I need, I need love right now in my life. I need joy. I need peace. I need patience. I need this. And those are things that you can only get supernaturally. Gifts given from the one on the throne of grace. There's no transaction involved. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to, you don't have to earn it by doing X number of good things, and he'll finally give you what you need in your heart. He gives when we ask for those things. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion. So, God, I don't know. I don't know the innermost thoughts and desires 
of anyone here. Sometimes I don't even know my own. But you know it. And right now, God, I, I, I'm asking you to help us see our innermost thoughts and desires and not feel shame in bringing those to you, not feel fear to bring those to you, not even feel like we've got to earn it first before we can put in the request. So God, there may be some people here that are desperately hungry for hope in their life, hope that only you can give supernaturally. There are some here that may be desperately hungry for joy in their life. Maybe there's a shadow over their hearts right now and they can't seem to shake it, but God, you are the giver of joy. There's some that may desperately hunger for peace in their life, peace in relationships, peace just even internally. But again, God, we don't need to earn it from you. It's not a transaction. And it's not, uh, we don't bring those things with an attitude of fear or timidity. We bring those because you're on a throne of grace and you love giving to us. So would you teach us how to ask you boldly for things? Would you teach us how to ask without fear, without timidity, and maybe to the point where we might feel a little bit out of our comfort zone because we're asking for something that we just feel like we're not sure if we deserve and the reality is we don't. So Jesus, we love you, but we, we want more hope in our lives. We want more joy in our lives. We want more peace in our lives. And we know it only comes from you. It doesn't come from things around us. It comes from you. So we want that for us. We want that for our kids. We want that for our friends, our spouses, our parents. We want that. But Jesus, we're gonna, we want to learn to tell you what we want. And we're going to learn to expect from you uh, that you will pour into us um, what we most desperately need in our hearts, which is the fullness of your life inside of us. And uh, we love you, Jesus, and we ask this all in your name. Amen. So we uh, end every Sunday with communion. And I'm going to ask you this week, you know, Jesus always says, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and I always try to remind you of things to remember. I just want you, when you take today, and I'm going to do the same, when you take this, which is Jesus, take him into you, I want you to think of maybe an innermost thought or desire that you really want to, Jesus to know. He already knows it. Maybe you haven't felt comfortable telling him that. So, but I want you to remember that that's what he wants to do. He, it's a high priest, what we read, in, he's, it's a high priest that knows our weaknesses. He knows your weakness. He knows what we want in life. He knows what we need from him. And let that be uh, what you bring to him today. So Aaron's going to lead us in a song. I'm going to pray, and then we'll take. So Jesus, uh, the writer of the Hebrews also tells us that you open up this whole new way for us, a whole new way for us to know God, a new and living way, the Bible actually says. And it's not a way that we have to earn or fight for, but it's a way that you opened up because of your death and your resurrection. So Jesus, we, we want to have a boldness with you because we want to have a boldness about you. But both of those can only happen if you do great work in our hearts. So we want to be those fully alive, fully free people where boldness marks our lives. 
but we know it only comes when you, by, your, by the Holy Spirit, pour yourself into us. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.